invite you to turn with me to the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 34. The Old Testament reading will be our sermon text for this morning. Um, the story of the book of Exodus, it's the story of God's delivering or freeing His people from bondage. But freeing them for what? Uh, to what end is God delivering His people? Well, our story in Christ is, <clears throat> is the story of God freeing us in Him from bondage to sin and to death and to despair. But again, the question remains, freedom for what? What tell us? What end are we being freed for? Well, Exodus provides an answer, maybe not the only answer in the Bible, but the answer of Exodus is that they might dwell in the midst of their God in peace, in glory, and in joy. They are freed to dwell in the midst of their God. Now, the Bible tells us that when we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, that's our epistle reading, when we behold the glory of God in the face of Christ, that we ourselves are, what? They're transformed. We're transformed from one degree of glory to the next into what? Into His image. Therefore, the beholding of Christ is our end, our aim. Here this morning, as we open His Word and preach it, and as we depart in His peace, our aim is to behold and then radiate the glory of Christ to a watching world. To that end, I would invite you to pray with me now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for Your Word, and we ask to, uh, that You to draw near in Your grace and Your mercy and Your love. Would You open our eyes and our ears that we might see, that we might hear, that we might receive that which You have for us. So give us a spirit of humility to respond to your word at this time. We pray your blessing upon us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Exodus, really, when you dive into it, it really begins to ignite the imagination, doesn't it? These stories that are told to us, these stories that are intended to shape us. I mean, the, the picture of the Exodus at all, if you begin to just let your imagination run with that imagery, it's a story of redemption. It's the imagery of God's power and of His grace. Last week, we have the story of the golden calf, and it's the story of the fall, of, of sin, of corruption, of death. And yet, in the midst of all of that, we see God's mercy to sustain a people. And today, we come to this fascinating story where Moses' face shines with the glory of God. It's, it's God's glory and our transformation into the image of His dear Son, Jesus, that's encapsulated in this story in Exodus 34. So I just invite you, as we've been going through Exodus, just to allow these stories, these images, to fire up your imagination, to encapsulate the truths of the gospel in story and picture form. The aim of humanity, it seems to, to, to me from Exodus here, the aim of humanity is to reflect the glory of God. Our great end is to dwell with God in the fullness of His glory. Okay? You got it? So let's just go do that. Does that sound good? It is an inter the, the image of glory. How are we supposed to image what glory is and looks like? I don't really have a great answer. I'm going to try and give you the image of dancing. I've used this not too long ago here. Um, okay, so the image of dance. It's the, the image of glory has to do with uh, doing what we're made to do, uh, being where we're made to be of dwelling in the midst of our great end. 
So with dance, it's like God in our midst. Together we revel in glory and joy. Now, it shouldn't come as a surprise, and it's no big secret, I'm not a good dancer. For me to dance is not to experience, or to watch me dance, is not to experience the fullness of joy or glory that dance holds, okay? You guys surprised? Not a bit. But when it is met with the right partners, there is an intimacy where glory is felt and seen. The life of one other with another Mingling, intermingling, and intimacy. There's something in those moments that can only be described as beauty or glory. And in, too, dance, there's also this camaraderie or solidarity. There's a communal aspect to dance as well, whether it's the electric slide or country line dancing or Baroque balls. There's community. And when that community functions as it's designed to, within the confines of the dance, It's glorious, if you can call the electric slide glorious. God's glory is what we are made for. As dance requires partner and community, our aim is indeed intimacy with God in His glory. God, or Moses here, meets with God, and he's actually physically changed to reflect the glory of God. The the people, a couple chapters before ours here, they asked Aaron, their leader, to provide a new shiny leader, and so Aaron made him a golden calf. God gives a different shiny leader here, Moses, in the shiny face of Moses. So we need a little bit of context. How do we get here? Exodus 25 through 33, just real quick. What we have in the previous chapters is God has covenanted with his people at Mount Sinai. But when Moses and Joshua ascended the mountain... And they didn't return for nearly 40 days. The people and Aaron, the second in command there, they created a golden calf through which they sought to worship God. At which point God's wrath broke out. The stone tablets with the words of God were destroyed. And God sought to make covenant only with Moses. Whoever comes to Moses is safe. But Moses became a mediator. He gave himself for the life of the people. He says, don't blot them out, Lord. If you're going to do anything, blot me out. But for some reason, a line has been crossed here. These corrupt people cannot dwell in God's presence, lest his holiness, lest his glory, the weight of his glory would crush them. In chapter 33, verse 5, God says, if for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. That's an image of glory, a weightiness to it that would crush or consume. So God establishes a temporary setup here. Moses and others construct a tent of meeting. It's a pre-tabernacle tent. It's a portable Mount Sinai. Where is the tent located? Outside of the camp of Israel. God cannot dwell in the midst of a corrupt people. And God descends in glory cloud only to meet with Moses, God's chosen deliverer and now mediator. Whenever Moses would enter, God would descend in the cloud of glory, and the people would stand at the doorway and watch. And the text says that they would bow in worship from their doors. They feared God's presence among them, but they feared his absence even more. What are they to do? Moses would enter in, and they would, he would speak to God face to face, and he wasn't destroyed. He wasn't consumed in God's glory. What would he speak to God about? 
chapter prior to this, says in the early on here, says that, that he would talk to God about going before us. Lead us, Lord. But you've got to go before us. You've got to guide us. You've got to protect us. I can't do this. And he says to God, consider this nation. These are your people. And he would talk to God saying, show me your ways, O Lord. Show me your glory that I might know you more. And have, we have here at the beginning of chapter 34 the answer to that prayer. When Moses says, show me your glory, God says, I'm going to put you in the cleft of a rock and I will pass before you and you will behold my glory. Although it's the backside of my glory, you will behold my glory. Chapter 34, verses 1 and following. The Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite the mountain. God is cutting a, a covenant here with His people, but He's doing it through Moses. The, the people, God's people whom He delivered from bondage, have corrupted themselves. They've broken God's Word, and they know the curse of covenant infidelity. Moses is commanded once again to ascend God's holy presence on the mountain, but this time he's to go alone. He is to see God's glory, to receive His command alone. Now, there's repetition in this ascent for Moses, but there's something different as well. Earlier, the people were looking for a new leader, a substitute Moses, right? And uh, they come up with a golden calf, this shiny golden calf that led them only to death and destruction. So Moses intercedes for them by ascending into God's presence. So we have a repetition here. Moses is doing this again. And they ask for a leader, but, but Moses is becoming, he's more than a leader for them, right? His glory outshines the golden calf because he is mediator as well. He is a go-between, serving God's people and serving God. He is the one who will unite a corrupt people with a holy, glorious God as they enter into or seek to enter into a divine dance. And this is different in some ways. God covenants with His people, but it's now through Moses, right? He, he alone ascends. He alone meets with God face to face outside of the camp. God will reveal Himself through Moses, and people come to God through Moses. So God descends to meet with Moses, chapter 34, verse 6 and following. And the list is when Moses is in the cleft of the rock. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, the God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. What is glory? look like? Well, we don't really see this necessarily, but we hear what glory looks like. We hear and see with the mind's eye the image of God's glory. When Moses meets God and he sees the backside of his glory, but you see, for us, it's not revealed by sight, but by sound. Even for Moses, we don't really know what he saw. There's no description of what he saw other than the character or nature of God. The Lord, the Lord, he reveals Himself through His Word. 
God is merciful and gracious. Have you ever seen mercy and grace? Have you seen the substance of that? What would you describe it as? Neither are objects or substance. We only understand them when we see them in action, right? We receive that God is this by faith as we hear it from His Word. God is speaking to Moses, His character, His very nature. And yes, His actions reveal who He is, but even sight is in sufficient. It is by faith that we receive and believe these things to be true of God. Moses pleads with God in verse 9 of our chapter. He says, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. He wants them to dwell in the midst of the people. Why is this so important for Moses and for the people? Well, again, maybe the image of dance is helpful here. This is what they're made for. There are so many other dance partners, though, aren't there, that vie for our affections? Why this dance? We could success, want people to like us, power, rule. These all are good dance partners that lead us ultimately to our own demise. Well, this dance, this dwelling with God in our midst is what we were made for. Go in, our, in the midst of us. But no, it is a stiff-necked people, God. It's almost like Moses gives them a warning, like God wouldn't know. Hey, just so you know, come on in, but know this. People are stiff-necked, right? Something wrong with these people. They're, they're, they're broken. They're sinners. And if you don't know that's true about each of us, then, well, you can just ask a close friend, and they'll tell you if they're a good friend, that you too are often stiff-necked. Ask a friend, a spouse, a coworker to be honest. And if they're honest... They'll reveal your flaws. Like the Israelites, we've received God's Word. We've heard His glory, and yet we are corrupt in our sin. But cleansing and wholeness has promised us, and it can come only from the one who creates and who recreates us. And Moses pleads, take us for your inheritance, is what he says. That's the last line of that prayer for him. Take us for your inheritance. That's the heart of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Other portions of Scripture say that we are His people are the apple of His eye. We desire to be a people after His own heart. So when God reveals Himself, the Lord, the Lord, a gracious, steadfast love, abounding in mercy, when He describes Himself as this, we, we praise His name, and it provides rich fodder for talking to Him. It's not uncommon for, for us to be able to, to recall these words Maybe the first thing in the morning or at lunchtime or maybe in the evening. The Lord is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. So we can speak to God saying things like, hey, we are your inheritance, O Lord. Will you forsake us forever? Lord, you are slow to anger. You are abounding in steadfast love. Help us to know your heart, to slow our temper, to be generous in our love. Lord, you promise to visit the sins of your enemies, to crush the head of the serpent the haters of Christ, yet you promise also to extend mercy and favor to your people even when we fail. And what happens when we begin to hear and to heed God's Word, His revealed glory? Well, what happens to Moses? The next handful of verses is all about God renewing His covenant, the promises for faithfulness, the curses for infidelity, 
and obedience to that, heeding that covenant leads to transformation. Verse 29, if you want to skip ahead in the chapter, we see transformation of Moses. Moses has been up on the mountain, received the covenant and the words, inscribed them on the tablets. Verse 29, when Moses came down from the Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. I mean, can you imagine if, if, if following the benediction, you would see this revealed glory and you guys would go out with shiny faces as well? I mean, we've got this skylight over here, and so I know if I'm sweaty, like you can see God's glory reflecting off my balding forehead. That's a little bit, just a, a glimpse of the fullness of glory yet to be had. We don't typically get to see God's glory in the fullness like what Moses did, right? We don't typically see His glory reflected in the same way it was shining off of Moses' face. But what we have here is we have a fact, the fact that Moses is transformed, physically changed because he's been talking with God and hearing His voice. Verse 30, Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Uh, Yeah, that makes sense. That would be frightening. The people called for a new leader. They created a shiny idol. God calls them and gives them a new shiny leader in Moses. He is the shiny mediator. There's something incredibly frightening for these people. As they behold the glory of God reflected in the face of their mediator, Moses. And it's likely because they've seen God's glory, His power, His might. And they know their transgressions. They know they have gone their own way. And they have felt the crushing weight of His glory descend upon their camp in His wrath and in His anger. But Moses called to the leaders and said, come here. And eventually the leaders come. And that makes a way for the people of God to dwell once again in the glory of their God, shining forth from the face of their mediator, Moses. And this is what happens after a time. Verse 33, when Moses had finished speaking with the people, he put a veil over his face. If we were reading chapters before this and after this, we see veils for the tabernacle. We see curtains, veils for the temple. It's a different Hebrew word than what we would have for tabernacle or temple veil. And they kind of function a little differently. The veil that Moses puts over his face is a different veil in some ways. Uh, It seems like the tabernacle or temple veils are preventing unauthorized access into God's glory, right? Keeping people out for their own protection. If they enter in unauthorized, the weight of His glory will crush them. Moses' veil seeks to keep God's glory revealed or hidden uh, from them so that it doesn't emanate, it doesn't shine forth to crush them. He comes from outside the camp, and as he's coming in, he's got to hide the glory so that they're not consumed or crushed. It's like the the seraphim after Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. It was the, the fiery seraphim were preventing unauthorized access into God's glory lest they be crushed. But it also prevented the the glory from shining or emanating out in its fullness to protect God's people as well. The veil is a protection for God's people, but it also does what? It hides the fullness of God's glory so that we're not living fully as we are intended to live. There's a, a, a mock 
dance. There's a, a, a truncated dance. It lacks intimacy. It lacks fullness and mirth. The relationship with God was not meant to be veiled any more than the bride walking up would, would leave the veil down the whole time. Yeah, there's something with it. The, the veil has to be removed to see the fullness, to experience the intimacy of the glory of God. Verse 34, Moses, whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was, what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him once again. God invites Moses into this tent of meeting to experience what humanity was created to, to do and to be. And the remaining chapters of Exodus, they record the building of the tabernacle, enthralling reading, by the way, keep at it, God's indwelling. So the current arrangement is, is somewhat of a, a temporary arrangement. This tent of meeting was not meant to be permanent. It's a transition point. Moses is a mediator for the people who are saved, and those who come to Moses now are saved as he points to the glory of God. The glory that transformed Moses is seen, is heard, is experienced at the tent of meeting, and soon the tabernacle will be built and the tent of meeting will be done away with. So that the tabernacle becomes the place where God's glory meets His people and they dwell in the midst of their God. And you see that the way that God described Himself and His glory, this is what's he, it's on display in the tabernacle soon to come. Don't we find in the tabernacle worship His mercy to allow corrupt people people into His holiness? Don't we see His grace? Don't we taste His steadfast love, which is smelled in the burnt sacrifice aroma? Don't we see His faithfulness to a people who taste a feast with Him, the living God? The Lord's presence is shown even visibly for them as the glory cloud descends to dwell in their midst, and they will see His vengeance poured out on His enemies and on those who are wayward in their loves, unfaithful to the practice of walking with God. There is grace towards generations of His people. And what image will encapsulate all of this for them? Is that for that generation, it would be the shining face of Moses. For when He dwelled with God, He was changed. And the glory of God emanated, radiated from God's chosen mediator. The face of Moses reflecting the, the glory of God becomes the image for what their life is to be. The shining face of Moses images the end for which they were freed from Egypt, the end for which God covenanted with them at Sinai. It was to be the compass to lead them into the promised land. And so it is that, all of that. Though the reality remains that Moses' face didn't shine for the rest of his life. It didn't shine ever and always for the remainder of his life. And the fact is that one day Moses would die the tent of meeting would one day pass away to make room for a more glorious tabernacle so that God can dwell with His people, not only through Moses and the sacrifices, His people. God's glory was reflected in Moses, but it would become at some point ineffectual. So did the tent of meeting. And in the not-too-distant future for them, the glory of the tabernacle would diminish and a glorious temple would be constructed. So our epistle reading from 2 Corinthians, it meditates on this reality that Moses' shiny face would one day come to an end. And he, the, the, the writer Paul compares the glory of Moses' shiny face 
to the glory that we have in Jesus Christ. Saying that the glory of God revealed in Moses, it, it, it was glorious, it was great, but it pales in comparison to the glory revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. Why? Because every glory that came before was not a permanent reflection of God's glory. And secondly, it was, never made, it, was, it was ever made ineffectual by sin of God's people. God was continually increasing His glory in their presence, and yet they would corrupt themselves in sin. The law given on tablets of stone became simply a ministry of death. The sacrificial system of the tabernacle became simply another golden calf to worship, another ritual idolatry. But why? Why was the glory insufficient? Well, the Bible says that whenever the, God's Word is spoken or heard, that a veil lies over the hearts of the people, right? That's what Paul said. There's a veil that lies over the hearts of the people whenever the Word is read. Until what? Until someone removes the veil. Access to God's glory was for a time reserved behind a holy veil. And only the high priest could access that, pass through that veil once a year in God's holy temple. But again, there was another temple that has come. As God's holy temple, Jesus himself was torn. And at his death, of course, we know that the curtain of the temple into the Holy of Holies was torn as well. And likewise, the blinding or the veil that blinds our hearts to receive the truth of God's word is torn asunder as well but only by the Spirit's work to enliven hearts and minds that we and others might respond to God in gratitude and in grace. And here's the beauty of the whole thing is that God invites us in. We're invited to share in the glory. It wasn't that the, the, the face of Moses was the end. That was simply a, a signpost. The glory of God is your dwelling place inviting the people in. As we become partakers of Christ, to walk in His ways is to join in the dance. We're the church. We're His bride, and He's the bridegroom. He speaks, and He woos we who are pilgrims in the wilderness, we who are sojourners in the camp, longing to see His glory descend, that, we might take our, that He might take our hand as He calls us unto Himself, we become those, His bride who sings, I am my beloved's and He is mine. See, that's the heart of Jesus, who is perfect, holy, an infinite reflection of God's glory. He Himself was crushed by the weight of God's glory, that we might meet God face to face, the fullness of God in the face of Christ to behold, and yet we are not crushed, but rather transformed from one degree of glory to the next. Like Moses, our work then is to simply do our best to reflect the glory of God so that others in our lives and in the world will behold that same glory and be transformed from one degree of glory to the next. And that work is not only difficult work, it's impossible work, except for this. The fact that Jesus is better than Moses' shiny face. That Jesus is better than any tent of meeting or tabernacle. He is greater than the temple or Mount Sinai. And Jesus alone brings us in His glory to dwell in the glorious presence of our triune God. 
And we who reflect His glory from one degree of glory to the next, we patiently await our transformation into the image of God's dear Son until we see Him face to face, where in His grace we will be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful again for Your Word and that You draw us unto Yourself. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and, and hearts to receive who you are and what you have for us. We humbly submit our lives to you. We are yours. Do with us as you see fit. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.